morning. Wow. Good morning. There you go. I want to thank you for being here this morning and want to just briefly, uh, if you're going on the Wares mission trip that is leaving right after church, if you'd come forward, I'd like to pray over you as a church before you leave. So if you come stand forward, I, I wanted to talk just a few seconds as they're coming up about the songs we just sang. Did you hear the, 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 the songs in, in this, you know, as we were leaving, uh, re, uh, singing Come by Fount, he closed with a verse, Robertson did, that prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. In the last song we sung, our victory is in Christ. Okay? So, on my own, I'm prone to wonder. So are you. Christ is our victory. Everything we do, all aspect of our being, is Christ. And this morning, they will be leaving to go to Ware's Valley, or this afternoon, depends on how long-winded I am, but anyway, they will, they will be leaving. And, and I want to pray over them as they will be in Tennessee. We pray for traveling mercies for them and the team, that everything that they do, every step that they have, is guided by Christ and as a representation of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, for His glory. And that people will know that Living Way Community Church loves God and loves others. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you uh, for the opportunity to be able to send. Uh, Lord, a church that is not sending is a church that is dying. And God, as we see this continually be the theme, Lord, we cannot be your children, we cannot be your followers, we cannot be the, the, what you have called us to be and be idle. We must be busy, not busy bodies, but busy proclaiming the news of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you give every step upon these safety. Uh, keep them well, Lord. May you be glorified in everything that they do. God, we are excited to hear what you're going to do up there, and we, we expect great things because we serve a great God. Lord, just lead them, guide them, protect them, and may you be glorified in all things. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. You may be seated. As y'all know, since my surgery, I always have to keep a bottle of water big time because my mouth gets dry, so don't pay attention to me. I'm going to have to get a bottle about this big put up here. But I wanted to begin this service with a story leading into today's passage. For many years, I lived in a place called Mifflintown, uh, Pennsylvania, and before that I lived in Middleburg. And you probably don't know where that is, but let me just tell you, it's not far from one of my favorite places to visit, visit and that's Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Now, if you know anything about history, and I'm a, I'm a Civil War fanatic, I've been to Antietam and Shiloh, I love these things because I love American history. And again, one of my favorite places to visit was Gettysburg, and we would go there so many times that I actually can give tours of the place. And, 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 and we would do that, and there's several times during... Uh, our visit there, that we were, we were able to walk what was known as Pickett's Charge. Now, you may not be familiar uh, with this, but uh, when, when, when the South had begun the invasion of the North, they would be met first at Antietam and pushed back, and they would regroup and go back again and be met at a, a really big railroad junction and a place called Gettysburg. really didn't have any military significance other than the fact that uh, a railroad junction was there. <clears throat> but what happened was they met by chance. Okay, uh, uh, Robert E. Lee's men had went into town looking for a pair of shoes, and that's what the battle began, over somebody looking for a pair of shoes. And what began as a minor skirmish turned out to be a major war. Now, during this time, the North had entrenched itself in like a fish hook over across two big hills, and General Lee had got the idea, said, you know what, we can break, break the center of the line by pushing forward. Now, to the dismay of, of one of his generals, General Longstreet, he tried to tell him, he said, look, can't be done. They're entrenched. Now, we go marching across open ground. We're going to be uh, subject to, to infantry and artillery fire from all over the field. And they can bring reinforcements up in a matter of minutes. We'll have to bring reinforcements up. They'll have to come from miles away. It's a bad idea. 
But he was, he was stubborn. He said, no, we can do it because what had happened through this time of war, he had become so arrogant in the fact that the South was winning much of the Civil War that he could do anything. He underestimated his enemy. So he began with what was 12,000 to 13,000 men to go what's called Pickett's Charge across a, across a field, and, and literally it's a field with a fence down through the middle of it, wide open ground. And as soon as they stepped out of the trees, they were subject to massive artillery fire. And as back then, if you know, they practiced what was called Napoleonic warfare. People marched in closed ranks. So you had this mass walking toward this fence, and there was getting holes just blown in them. But they would hold their ranks. And what was so amazing, the formation, and when they had marched almost a half a mile, as it began to fall apart, they'd draw in closer and closer, and only a few made it to the wall. The firefighting was so intense, now listen to this, it was so intense at that point in Pickett's charge that bullets actually collided in the air. They had these bullets in the museum that have impacted, that they were in such tight firefighting that it would impact and you could see them crushed upon each other. Can you imagine being in that field of fire? And where it's so tight of quarters and so many bullets being shot that they impact. The intense battle with a determined man to take a, a, a determined point that one thing this has taught me, regardless of what you understand about history or anything about battle, is this. As I sit there and I look at these bullets, is a determined enemy is a very tough enemy. Now listen, I'm making a point with this. A determined enemy is a tough enemy because they'll do whatever it takes to win. Do you understand that? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Now I'm going to give you a rehashing, if you will, real quickly to, to, to give you an illustration uh, or, or, or to touch on this illustration that I've given. I ask that you bear with me. Now as we have been going through the book of Revelation, we have talked that there are all kinds of camps that camp out in the world. I do this every Sunday because I want you to know that regardless of what you hold to, there's one thing that you've got to hold to, and that's the return of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ came, died, for the, died and paid the sin by the wrath of God that reserved us, it was poured upon Him on the cross. He was dead three days later. The same power that raised Him from the dead can be in every one of you who believe, or will be in every one of you who believe. And Jesus is coming back. Now, if you don't agree with that, then we got problems. Jesus is who He says He is. And what I will tell people is when you go through this, again, I want to reiterate this fact, because so many people get, get and, and I know I say this every week, but I want to remind you, that we get so caught up in what may be that we forget the message of what God has given us on paper. Remember, the book of Revelation was written as an encouragement to the persecuted church. You've got to understand this. Okay. Now, that being said, you got to understand is this. There are some things that I don't know. If the things that God says, Paul says, are a mystery, I don't care how educated you are, if God hadn't revealed it to you, it means He don't want you to know. Do we understand that? So there are certain things that I don't understand or know, but what I do know is what He has written here, just like every word of God from Genesis to the maps, was given as an encouragement to us to know that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Okay, now we're going to move on. So I'm going to ask every one of you to stand as we read the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, you can read out of them. If not, you can read on the screen. We will go through this text, and I want to go back through it and show you how difficult an enemy we have. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is rule of all the nations, with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne, Christ. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. She, we're talking about the woman, we're talking about Israel. Israel give birth to Christ. Christ give birth to the church. It wasn't the other way around. Amen? And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and His authority, Christ, hath come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Hold to that. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place, where she was nourished for a time, and times and a half a time, from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of the mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman." and went off to make war with the rest of her children, who keeps the commandments of God and holds to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may be seated. As I shared with you, last week, chapters 1 through 4 deal with the churches of Asia Minor. 4 through 11 will deal with the events of Christ. 12 on to 19 will deal with the people involved in this. Okay, now what is kind of interesting to me is what we talked about last week was Israel. The woman was Israel. That here is something that is happening that I want to bring up to you as I brought up the intense firefight that I think that the church today has forgotten. Number one, and we talk about this on Wednesdays, and I pray that, that, that if you, I know most people have to work, I understand that, but you could, you ought to come to our Bible study on Wednesdays. We have a great time of discussion. But one of the greatest things that has happened in the church is people don't know who God is. As one evangelist said, people don't have fellowship with God. They have fellowship with one another about God. There's a big difference. Number two, we don't know who our enemy is. And I want you to listen to something as I go through this sermon that I hope will give you a clear understanding. You underestimate the power of spiritual warfare. If you do not believe spiritual warfare is real, then you need to investigate your life to see that you're in right standing with Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you something. Satan is mighty. He's not almighty, but he is mighty. And as we get into this scripture, and I want to go back to the first uh, few verses, if you will. She gave birth to a son, child. Now I want you to understand this. Since Christ is the victor, Satan will do everything he possibly can to fight against that. Satan does not like you, if you're a believer. He will try to thwart any of God's plans. We know this. But sometimes I think we underestimate him and we take him flippantly. Now, I want you to understand before I get into the battle part of these verses that you understand who we're dealing with. The Bible tells us the devil, you see, he's referred to as a dragon. A dragon is a mythical creature, but all the time a, a dragon is indicated as this red, fiery serpent, if you will, that is trouble. But Satan is referred to in many terms in the Bible. He is a determined adversary. Listen. He is an accuser. He is one, as the Bible will say in the book of John, the father of lies. He is the one that stands to accuse and torment you. Because if he can make your life miserable, then he prevents you from doing the work of God. Now this is very important. Because as we look at this scripture in Revelation, Satan has waged war. He torments the children of Israel. He torments the Gentiles. Anybody that has a standing on Jesus Christ, he will torment. People say, well, the devil, bother, the devil bothers me. Well, you know why? He made this have you. Do you hear me? 
The devil never torments me. Does he have you? Why would he waste time tormenting somebody he already has? But if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you will face torment. The Bible says he is an adversary. He is his accuser. Genesis says he's a serpent. The Bible tells me he is the enemy of God. If he is the enemy of God, he is the enemy of you. Men hate darkness more than they hate or love light. And I think so many times we underestimate the power of Satan. You see, look what it says. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. Now, Chad, what does this war look like, and who instigated it? I don't know. But what I do know is there's a war waged. Now think about this for a few moments. Well, how could Satan get to heaven? Well, according to Zechariah 3, in Job, that Satan does go before the presence of God. Isn't the Bible cool? We'd be surprised what we'd know if we'd just read it. Satan does have access. But let me tell you what he does. As Satan approaches, there's a war waged. Now this is very interesting to me because the Bible says Michael and his angels. Who is Michael? Well, according to the text, he is... There's two angels that are named, actually three if you want to look at Lucifer, but there's three angels named. Michael is one, Gabriel's the other. Michael will also be spoken to as a dispute in the body, over the body of Moses, which we found in the book of Jude. But Michael is an archangel, okay? Michael is greater than man, he is lower than Jesus. But he has power given to him by his creator, which is God. Men did not create angels. We do not become angels when we die, people. Okay, now this really irks people's nerves, but I want to clarify this. So and so become an angel. No, they did not. And this is a theme that really prevails throughout the church today. You do not become an angel. I'm going to give it to you plain. When you die, you either in the presence of Christ or you in hell. There's no negotiation. Either you're in Christ or you're separated from Him. Angels are beings created by God for His glory, for His proclamation, for His ministry. Well, everybody's got a guardian angel. Show me in that in text. I don't know. I don't know how many angels they are. If I can't count them and the Bible don't tell me, I shouldn't assume something that's not there. Amen? Okay. That being said, there's a war. And there's a battle here. And Michael and his angels. But look what happens. The dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who was called devil and Satan, who deceives the world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down. I want you to listen. I don't know how all this took place, but I know this. Satan lost. He loses because he may be mighty, listen, but he is not almighty. You see, here's the problem. We, well, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Whoop, hold on. Now salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him. Because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life, even when faced with death. This is powerful here. Every one of you might not have to stand and face your death over your testimony in Christ. But I can promise you this, and we talked about this Wednesday. 
that if you give in to Satan with the little things, I can promise you, you'll fall in with him with the big things. Does your life and the things that you have represent that you love Christ more than you love yourself? You see, this is what I was trying to reiterate with this message and this battle. You see, the thing about this is, there's not a single one of you that can face Satan alone. I have heard preachers say, bring on the devil. Oh, you have no clue what you're doing. I know this, that I can't even go into battle with one toe without Jesus Christ and His arms around me. And neither can you. I don't care how super spiritual you may think you are. I don't care how much you know Scripture. You know what? Satan knows Scripture too. But I can tell you this, the Bible says they were overcomers, listen, by the testimony of the Lamb. You hear that? It's by Christ they were overcomers. Do you think so many times that I have spoken that when David went head to head with Goliath, if it was this little boy beating this big man? Little can always be big. No! God can defeat evil. We have missed this so many times. That it is not by our power that we do things. It's by the power of God who does things through us that things are accomplished. And I get so tired, it's, it's a sickness that is going through the world today and going through our church that we think we're some super spiritual individual that by our own power we can have things, we can have money, we can have victory over everything. Only way we have victory is Christ in us. Period. And I beg anybody to show me in Scripture where God always promised everything would be hunky-dory for me. You see what it says? They did not love their life even when faced with death. I see so many people that claim to love Jesus, but they love things more than they love Jesus. I'm going to say one that's going to strike your nerves this morning. I catch my breath on this one. You cannot love your family more than you love Jesus. Listen to me. You cannot love your family more than you can love Jesus. Chad, that ain't fair. Listen. When you say you love humans more than you love Jesus, you're playing right into Satan's hands because you're promoting the I mentality instead of God who saves us all. I love my Jesus more than I love my family because if I love Christ more than I love them, then if I love Christ, they will see how much I love Christ and I will take care of them because I love Christ. We've got it all wrong. And so many times, we serve and we see the church today that is so filled with the I mentality. And the reason we can't overcome, even when times get tough and persecution comes, is because we have the me mentality. We try to do battle ourselves instead of giving it to Christ. Have you ever thought about that? How much do you love Christ? Well, I know Christ. There's a sack full of people that know Christ, but does Christ know you? Satan knows Christ, but does Christ know you? And I want to be really focused on this because, look, I've been reading the news. I don't know how many of you read the news. I don't get the paper, of course. I don't think many people do. If you do, that's kind of cool. But I, I, I look on the Internet. And I see what's going through the church today. Sexual sin, health, wealth, and prosperity, super spiritualism, they denying the deity of Jesus, they're denying the, the work of Christ because God is a cosmic abuser because He put His Son to death. And like we said Wednesday, did God kill Jesus? Yes, He did.
Because God killing Jesus was the only way you could be reconciled to the Father. Do you understand that? And right here, what has happened is a scene in heaven. Listen, I'm going to make some more points with this. That Satan is defeated and he's cast out on the earth. Now, woe to those people on earth, the scripture says, because now his attacks become more vicious. He may not win ultimately over God because the Bible told us as we just read that his time is short. So if my time is short, what am I going to do? Do as much damage as I possibly can do while I'm here. You hear that? But listen. Listen what the text says. The salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come for the accuser, the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. And he who accuses them before our God day and night, and they overcome him because of the blood of the Lamb, and because of the word of their testimony, they did not love their life even when faced with death. You should underline that phrase. That they did not not love their life even when faced with death. See, we were talking a little bit about this Wednesday. And what amazes me about this text is again, most of us may not have to face our death over the testimony of Christ. And we were talking about this past Wednesday as Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you look at the Greek in that, it was a, it was a trough where oil is pressed and squeezed out. Christ was squeezed by the wrath of God. And He prayed for that cup to pass from him. Remember? What was in the cup? The wrath of God. But he prayed that that cup pass from him. But he drank the cup. He drank the wrath of God. And you remember as he's in there, people have said that Christ was afraid. He was afraid of the wrath of God. He wasn't afraid of some Roman cross. And so many times we hear this and say, well, you know, Jesus was afraid of the cross. I don't believe that. Because there have been testimonies of Christians who have walked to the stake to be burned that they sung the praises of Jesus. They have been crucifying, glorif crucified, glorifying His name. And I can promise you that if a Christian who has been overcome, their testimony by the blood of the Lamb, can sing praises to Jesus, I can assure you the very Son of God who willfully took the wrath of God wasn't afraid of men. Listen to what it says. But when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the child. He persecutes Israel. He persecutes the Gentiles, people. For this reason, O heavens, look what he said in 12, I'm backing up. O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and sea, because the devil has come down. Look, underline this. Having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Great wrath. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to earth, he persecuted the woman, gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness in her place. And she was nourished for a time, and times and time a half from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away. But the earth helped the woman. And the earth opened up his mouth and drank of the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. What does that mean, Chad? Let me put it to you in Greer Indian. The same God that has saved you will preserve and sustain you. He sustained this woman. He nourished this woman. He will protect His people. Understand, it is not by your death that you have been defeated. Men may kill you, but Matthew says, why fear men who kill you? Fear the one that can kill you and damn your soul. You hear me? So the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went off to make war with the rest of her children 
who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. If you hold to the testimony of Jesus, you will be attacked by Satan. I can promise you this. We haven't seen persecution yet. Like I've said, I've gone up the highway or I've been out trying to witness on the streets or whatever. Somebody may come by and curse at me. They might give me the one finger salute. But I don't know what it's like persecution. Sure, I get made fun of at work. So do you. But I can promise you that if the, work, if the workplace that you does intimidates you, what's going to happen when you face real persecution? But listen to me. If you're born again believers in Jesus Christ, you're an overcomer. So what happens? Now I want you to think about this. What happens in this text? I want to give you three T's of Satan. Three T's of Satan. And I can show you by God's word how to combat this. Number one, Satan's time. Now I want you to think about this. The Bible says he only has a short time. But during this time, he's going to wage war on God's people. Do you not see this? Satan will wage war. He will accuse. He will deceive. We think it's often sometimes the most hideous things that Satan does that gets our attention. It's not always the great hideous things, but those that are subtle because he's a deceiver. You remember what I read last week? If I were the devil, that was written in 1965 about how it's the things that start out subtly that get into your church. That's why so many people are addicted to pornography because they got accessible to things they've never had accessibility to before in their lives. People are addicted to drugs. I used to be a church planner in the heroin capital of the United States. I can remember going to work and going to the bathroom stalls and seeing needles all over the place. One of my supervisors said, they're diabetic needles. I said, you've lost your mind. But not only are they subject to drugs and pornography, they're subject to the world saying it's okay to come from a broken home. It's okay. It's okay that marriage is not between a man and a woman. It's okay that you can lie because it's only a little lie. I'm going to say something that's going to wind up the whole world. I'm not going to look. You know how many people woke up disappointed Saturday morning that they didn't win the 1.1 billion? Don't you think about this. A lot of people woke up saying, wow, that wasn't me. I read on the news that, you know, one person hit 1.1 billion. But I guarantee you, even that person come to the end of time will say that 1.1 billion didn't save them. There's nothing that's going to save you other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And those, those things that may make us happy, you know, I was talking to a guy, I got to go on this side note just for a few moments. This is how Satan wages war. Man, what would I do with all that money? And he began to talk, man, I've had dreams about it. I'd buy me a couple houses at the beach. And I'd buy me a new car. And I'd give everybody in my family a million dollars. He actually said, I tell you what, I'd give all of our employees that work here in this department a million if they would walk out with me. Now all those people were praying that he hit it too. And they all prayed about what they would do with this money. But let me tell you something. If you're nothing without it, you won't be nothing with it. Christ is the only one it sustains. But Satan loves to use that lie with money. And he's subtle in the way a lot of times he approaches. So he's going to engage war with you. And how fierce this attack will be because he knows he has a short time. I want you to look at the second T, the target. The target is ever born again believer in Jesus Christ regardless of what race or nationality. If you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you will have war waged against you. Why? Because you're for Christ and he's against him. 
remember, if the world hates you, it hated Jesus Christ first. You're the target. You're the target of spiritual warfare. And I'm not trying to be up here and teach doom and gloom because there's a way to overcome. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But you're a target. Well, 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 let's just back up for a few minutes. How many of you get discouraged? How many of you have issues with neighbors, co-workers? How many of you have been financial destitute? How many of you have been depressed? How many of you have had sickness that makes you wonder why? How many of you have gone through certain things? You see, if Satan can get you down with the troubles of the world, you spend less time glorifying God. Is that not true? You're a target. And I can tell you now, he may not be messing with you much now, but he will if you're his. I've said it time and time again. Daniel's very clear on this. You either headed toward a furnace, you in the midst of one, or you're coming out of it. Keep that in mind. You're his target. And number three, you're a product of his temperament. You see how much he is enraged? He's not going to back off, people. He will torment you. The Bible tells, listen, listen, listen. I tell you what. You know the thing about the Scripture is this. Have you ever read it and go, wow, I never looked at that before. Listen. For this reason rejoice, O heavens. He has been defeated. And you who dwell in them, Woe to the earth and sea. Do you know what woe means? You're in trouble. Woe. Woe to the earth and sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath. Having great wrath knowing that he only has a short time. Chad, that's kind of doom and gloom to me. Oh, no. It's doom and gloom to you to think that you can go in battle alone. But if you have your Bible, I ask you to turn with me to one of my favorite chapter or, or text. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, you can listen. So what do we do? What do we do in this midst, midst of this? As we're talking about the events of Revelation, they're just as applicable right now. Listen to me. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in strength of His might. Listen. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now listen, did you hear what it says? Context is critical here. Who are you putting on? Your armor? The armor of God. Do you hear this? Your armor don't match up. It don't work. Put on the full armor of God. Look what he says. For our struggle is not flesh and blood. This, I could spend a whole sermon series on this. But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Do you hear this? It's not your neighbor that you despise, it's the problem. It's he who has your neighbor that's the problem. Spiritual warfare is satanic driven. And Satan is powerful. And he uses people. People. But look what it says. Therefore take up the full armor of God. He said it again. Of God. 
so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having, your, having girded your loins with the truth, the belt of truth. Now listen, if Satan is the deceiver, who is truth? Christ. Truth is found in Christ. Satan deceives. So stand on the words of Christ. The Bible says, let the words of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell. In context of that scripture, not only words of Christ, but words about Christ. Because Christ is truth. And the belt is what holds all your armaments together. So you must be wrapped around with the belt of Christ. Amen? Okay, look what it says. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let me tell you something. This is so... I am worthy because of my unworthiness because Christ made me worthy. Okay? I am not righteous in my own strength, but I am made righteous because of the work of Christ. You hear me? The breastplate of righteousness, which means I have been made righteous only by the blood of Christ. And that righteousness guards my heart. You hear me? Because what have I said? He that saved you will what? Sustain you. The breastplate of righteousness. He guards my heart. And having my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. I want you to think about this for a few moments. As Paul has given this illustration, Roman soldiers would drive spikes into their shoes, in their sandals. We would call them cleats. And see, the whole purpose of that was to be prepared and you could stand your ground. Let me tell you something. There's nothing greater to stand your ground than the Word of God. You hear me? Amen. This is truth. There have many men written a lot of books, and I'm not going to say they're not godly men, but this is the book written by the hand of God. And the Bible says that all this is God-breathed. Not only are you prepared with the Word of God, those little cleats give you the opportunity of advancement that you can advance the Gospel. Amen? i got papers going everywhere. Listen. In addition, take up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Do you hear me? This is the thing about a shield. The shield during this time, would usually protect from, the, protect from the nose to the knees. The shield of faith. Knowing that regardless of what the Satan throws at me, I have faith in Christ that is greater than all things. And that shield protects me. Guys, pick up your shield. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ... I can promise you, you're going to be at battle. But God has showed you how you can protect yourself against Satan. He's greater than you are, but he's not greater than God. And I can guarantee you that armor that is of God will protect you when you're in battle against Satan. And look what he says. I don't even have to read it. Then put your helmet of salvation on. See, that helmet right here protects the upper extremities. Even though I got a head of concrete, my head is still vulnerable. So that helmet of salvation is the knowledge of God that He has given me. Not only is that knowledge given to me by the same God who saved my soul, that knowledge has been given to me to share forward to others that they may know the saving power of Jesus Christ. 
So I come to you today to say, listen, even though it can seem like a discouraging message, that Satan has a lot of power, please don't underestimate what he can do. Because I want you to understand that first and foremost, you cannot fight him alone. You can't. That's the whole purpose. You have to be totally dependent on Christ. How did these people who go to face their death, even as they were beheaded three months ago for their testimony in Jesus Christ, how did they make it through that? Why? Because they totally depended on Christ, not their own effort. I have learned, even in my own life, that there's things that depress me, that get me down, because when I get my eyes off Jesus, I'm totally dependent on self. And self fails. But Christ is eternal. I'm not going to sit here and close it and tell you today that you're not going to have arrows thrown at you. Again, if you're not, you need to reevaluate your life. Because I can promise you the majority of the United States and the world does not believe in Jesus. That's just a reality. Look, I'm not super spiritual. I don't have any more power than any of you have. Only thing that I have, the only good in me is Christ living in me. And He will equip me with what He wants me to have. But He will never leave me or forsake me, even until time of death. When I leave this earth, I'm not going to become an angel. I guarantee you there won't be a monument in Campobello to my name. But what I can tell you is this. That the Bible tells me that I'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's something that neither rust or moth can destroy. For my foundation is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And that solid rock will sustain me even into death. I may not have a lot of money. I may not have a lot of things. I may not have a piece of furniture that I can fight over. I may not have the greatest gun collection or the greatest knife collection. I may not have a lot of friends, but I have Christ. Because I know if I have a lot of things and I put emphasis on those things, whether they be people or good, then I'm putting an emphasis on me. I'll close with this. There was a missionary one time that came back from overseas. He had served 40 years. And there was another man that was on the boat with him. That when they pulled up to the port, the people were running out there and hugging him and thanking him. There was this great crowd praising him that he had returned. And as this missionary and his wife that were well in their age came down this ramp of this boat in New York Harbor, there was nobody to greet them. He had served 40 years in the missions. But as he walked down that ramp, he began to get a little discouraged. God, I don't understand. For 40 years, I have served you and done what you've called me to do. And as I come home from my life spent dedicated to you, here I get home and there's no one to greet me. And a loud voice spoke to his heart said, Brother, you're not home yet. You see, that's the deal. Even us as born-again believers, we need encouragement in God's Word. That's why we've known the armor of God. I get discouraged too. I'm not a lily-white-handed preacher that's going to tell you what all you should do. I work too. I, I, I get in amongst people just like you do. And it's very easy for me to tell people from a pulpit how you should act. I get discouraged too. But I know that my strength comes from the Lord. And the verse speaks to us now more than ever that I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. It's not of personal glorification or self-satisfaction or to show people my own personal gain, but to show that I am made content with my faith and trust in Jesus Christ who will sustain me at all times, at all places. Amen? Amen. As we see this war waged in heaven, Satan's defeated. And he's on this earth seeking whom he may devour, as Peter will say. But if you'll clothe yourself in the full armor of God, he may beat you up, he may wreck you, he may take you to your death. But trust in him who saves the soul.
Because I can assure you that if you're in Christ, whenever you take your last breath on this earth, you're in His presence. Amen? And I'm encouraged by that fact, and you should be encouraged too. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your strength that You give us. God, I can't do anything on my own. I, I, I'm definitely not super spiritual. You know me, Lord. I don't. I don't possess any power. Lord, I can't heal nobody. I can't raise them from the dead. And definitely I can't save them. Only you can do that. I have no power to walk on water. But I do have the power through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have given all of us by saving and sustaining us the power to share the good news of Jesus. We have that power. And Lord, we have the power to sing praises to your name. And God, we give you all the glory. God, if we don't give all you all the glory, then we're giving ourselves the glory. And God, that's, that's total contradictory to Scripture. But Lord, you promised you would never leave us or forsake us. And we should be encouraged as we don the full armor of God that no matter what Satan throws at us, you will always give us what we need. Not always what we want. God, I know you put on us more than we can bear, contrary to popular belief. Because, God, if you didn't, we wouldn't totally depend on you. But, God, you are powerful. You are pure. You are true. And yet, while we were sinners, your son Christ died for us. And as I sit here today, Lord, and I pray, if there's one that does not uh, have a relationship with you right now. Lord, we pray that you would convict their hearts before it's eternally too late. It's not that they know you, but do you know them? God, I pray that it's not about what we've done that saves us. It's not about uh, a flippant believing. It's not believing that Christ, but believing in Christ. And if we believe in Christ, we have been changed by Christ. And God, no matter where we've gone, no matter what we've done, when we place our faith and trust in your Son, Christ, you remove the sin. You don't go cover it. Just don't cover it. You take it away. What priests could not do, it pointed to the example of that that they could only cover, you can remove. Praise your name. It doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done, what we've gone through, what race we are, or how much money our daddy has, but totally on you. And God, I pray that lives would be changed, they would be transformed, they would be renewed. That even in the midst of persecution, in the midst of spiritual warfare, that God, we would stand strong in you. Our armor is of you. It's not of ourselves. Because God, I am a failed man, a depraved man that's only been saved by the grace of you. And God, by my own effort, by my own ability, I will lead people astray. I will fail. I will fall. But God, greater is you that is in me. And He is in the world. God, You, through Your Son, Jesus Christ, has caused the dead to live. And we should continually rejoice, praising and thanking You for all things. And it's in Your name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship together. Stand and sing, please.